video so that was that was about two weeks ago and we're back and it was a, an amazing thing to be a part of uh, just God working in the hearts of some of the youth at the church so that was a blessing it was a blessing to be part of that um, like Pastor Ross had said I've been here I, I came to the church maybe five years ago I met my wife Desiree right over in the NPR she shared a hamburger with me and from then it was it was history um, <laughs> And Pastor Ross even baptized her when we were dating and we got married right here. We exchanged our vows right here. So this is a, this is a special place, a special church. Uh, dear to my heart, just people here consider family. So it's an honor to be here with you guys today uh, to bring God's word. Um, when Pastor Ross asked me to, uh, to share on a Sunday morning uh, a few weeks ago, it reminded me of a time back in my wrestling days uh, high school, I was a junior in high school, and it was a summer camp, and um, because it was a summer camp, I ended up being the biggest guy on my team because of vacation, and people were gone and stuff, so I, I wrestled a 160-pound weight class, um, and we were going against a team from Arizona, and, you know, we're lined up across the mat with them, and uh, look across, and my coach comes up to me, and he was like, they don't have anyone at your weight. Do you want to wrestle their heavyweight? And heavyweight is 285 pounds, I mind you. And I look over, my coach is here, I look over and I see just this big giant of a guy and someone told me that he, they had got, he got third at state the year before. And so fear a little bit set in and I was like, but then my coach, when he asked me, I said, oh yes, I'll wrestle, I'll do it coach, I'll, do, I'll, I'll wrestle him. And it turned out okay. Um, I even, I, I, in fact, I actually even won. So it was pretty crazy. The first period, he was throwing me all around and it was not going good for me. And then uh, the big boy, he got tired. And then, so the second period, I started having a, I was doing a better then. So all of that to say, I hope today, this morning turns out okay. And, uh, <laughs> and in keeping with that, if you guys would bow and pray with me to get into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for your, world, your word, God, that you revealed to us. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share your word, God, and just pray that your people be blessed, God. Open our eyes and open our ears to the things that you want us to hear and take away and to put into practice today, God. And pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And so for this morning, my heart was drawn to a text that I would consider the heartbeat of the gospel. This text speaks of the very way that our souls are saved and how to effectively walk a Christian life. So please, if you would turn to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10 is where we're going to be today. The apostle Paul here says in verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And as you see in the text here, 
uh, talking about salvation. And if salvation were a tree, the two most important aspects to this tree would be the root and the fruit, which we see in our text here this morning. I'm not a botanist, but I do know that a root has two major functions. It absorbs water. This is where the, the tree gets its nutrients. This is where the life comes from. And it anchors the tree to the ground. The root is the strength of the tree. The fruit, the fruit is the end product and it is what is valuable from the tree. And who doesn't love good fruit, right? Especially living in the area that we're at today. As many of you know, my dad owns a roofing company local, locally in the area, Capstone Roofing. Shout out to Pops. Uh, so I spent hot summer days sweating on top of a roof, working really hard. Um, but I particularly liked working in Sebastopol because in Sebastopol, you have a lot of apple trees. And these apple trees, a lot of times they would plant next to the house and they would grow up high and these branches would bring these apples that would just sit right up there on the roof, almost just for the taking. And so after a long, hard day of work and sweating, it was just so nice to go and just grab an apple off the tree and biting into it. The fruit is so good after roofing and sweating and it just was refreshing and crisp. And so the fruit is what's valuable. The fruit, without the root being there though, the fruit is impossible. And so this morning, we're gonna spend the most of our time focusing on the root of salvation and we'll conclude with the fruit. So before we get completely underway, in case anyone leaves here wondering what was that all about, the scratching their heads, I'm gonna tell you guys up front. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. This is how we enjoy peace and, while, and this is what we do uh, to live an effective Christian life. So in keeping with our analogy of the tree, verse eight and nine, we'll take a look at the root of salvation. And verse 10, we'll conclude with the root. So here the apostle Paul says, it is by grace that you have been saved. And so this word in the Greek saved is sozo. This is to keep safe. It means to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger. It has this idea of a safe house. So based on this word, it seems without Christ, we are in a lot of trouble. We are in intimate danger. So before I became a Christian, if someone were to ask me, are you saved? I would have said, saved? Saved from what? And the answer, quite simply put, is saved from sin. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin. The penalty of sin. It's better to, under, to get a better understanding of this, it will help us to go back uh, to when, first, when sin first entered this world. You know the story, Adam and Eve, they were in the Garden of Eden, they had it made, it was, it was a perfect environment. They had a perfect relationship with each other and they had a perfect relationship with God. God gave them one rule. He said, don't eat of this one tree. You can eat of all the trees, but not the one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so, you know, the story, the tempter came in, he lied to them, he deceived them. They believed the lie and they sinned, they ate the apple. And ultimately the penalty of that is they were cast out of the garden. Even they were separated from God. And that's what sin does. It separates us from God. And so the fact of the matter is every human being, being after, every human being afterwards uh, was born in the state of being separated from God. 
And unless there's a spiritual rebirth, this life ends, then you will stay forever separated from God. And that will, being forever separated to God in eternity is going to the place that nobody likes to talk about. And so that is the penalty of death. That's the penalty of sin is separation from God. And I remember when I was, I was probably six years old and I didn't have this concept of how sin uh, affected um, death and brought about death, but I started getting a concept of death. And I remember just being so afraid, sixth grade. I was thinking, what would it be like? Like death, this life is all that I know. And would it be like going to sleep for a really long time? And I was six years old, so I hated taking naps. So I was like, this would be the worst. Um, but then I also thought, you know, would, it, would I be Joe still? The only reason I know Joe is because of this life. And so I started just going into a panic. And that's the thing. That's another thing that Jesus came to save us from. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this, by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So Christ came to save that little boy that was underneath the, myself being underneath the covers scared, even from the fear of death. We have nothing to fear in death if we're in Christ Jesus. And the fear of death is something that plagues all of humanity. God said he's written eternity in our hearts. We know something's gonna be there afterwards, but it's a matter of uh, the person of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. So next is the power of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. Sin no longer dominates our lives. This is what Romans six fourteen says. We're under new ownership. My life belongs to another. This is only accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is our teacher. He is our guarantor. He helps us live this Christian life out. Before we had no power over sin, we were a slave to sin. Christ comes in, the Holy, gives us the Holy Spirit, and he gives us even the ability to choose to walk in righteousness instead of before we had no way. We were, we were bound by sin and the, the destruction, therefore, that it caused. So now we no longer have to lie. We no longer have to be envious or greedy or lust. The Holy Spirit teaches us and gives us the power to overcome those things in this life, which saves us from a lot of destruction and a lot of hurt, the ability to choose. Last, the presence of sin. One day we will be delivered from the presence of sin, those who are in Christ Jesus. After we've run this race and fought the good fight, we'll be face to face with God. All things will be made right. There'll be no death, no hurt, no brokenness, no strained relationships, not even the ability to hurt uh, hurt God's heart, to hurt others. Man, what a glorious day that will be. Amen. Revelation 21 verse four says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Everything will be made right. So that's the penalty, the power in the presence of, or in the presence of sin is what we have and are being, are going to be delivered from. That's what we're gonna be saved from. But it's not just that. God has also saved us for something else. It's not just that God has taken us out of the red and put us into a neutral playing field, a neutral position, but he's actually given us everything. And this is what we're saved to. We're saved from a life in bondage to a life of freedom in Christ. That's Galatians 5 verse one. And we're saved from a life without purpose 
to a life of purpose, to love and to serve and to further God's kingdom. We've been saved from being enemies of God to having peace with God and being called a friend of God, Romans chapter five. And we're saved, as we'll see later on, we're saved to do good works, to walk in these good works. Just before this chapter, Ephesians chapter two, we have Ephesians chapter one and all of the blessings that are in Ephesians chapter one. We're chosen in Christ. We're adopted into God's family. We're accepted in the beloved. We have inheritance that's incorruptible and we are to be co-heirs with Christ, the son of God himself. This is truly amazing. The Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived what God has prepared for those who love him and called according to his purpose. So another aspect of this salvation that is so comforting to me is this, going back to this idea of sozo, to be saved. I learned in Bible college that this word is in the perfect participle tense. So this has the idea of you have been saved and therefore forever remain saved. That is today and forever tomorrows. Romans 8, 29 through 30, uh, paraphrasing says that who God foreknew, he also predestined and who he predestined, he called and who he called, he justified and who he justified, he glorified. And so he's a part of the whole process. It's everlasting life. The very definition of everlasting life points us to the fact that it's secure and it's eternal. And this reminds me of John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus speaking here, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my hand. So we have this idea here of two hands. And I have two hands and I, uh, my roofing days and my wrestling days, I feel like somewhat have strong hands. And I also have a daughter and her name is Audrey. We just celebrated her second birthday yesterday. And I pity the fool who tries <laughs> to snatch Audrey from my hands. It would take an army and even then there's no way that someone is gonna snatch her from my hands. And this doesn't have so much to do with strong hands, but it has to do with the idea that Audrey is my child and I love her. It's the love that I have for her. And here's the idea here in John chapter 10. We are, once we put our faith and our trust in Christ, we are God's Audrey. He, we are his children, he loves us. And we have this idea of two hands, the son and the father, and they have us secure and sealed together by the Holy Spirit, that's a security that I can't even wrap my mind around, but something that we should try to and be safe in. And with all that we're saved from and all that we're saved to and this security that we have being in the Father and the Son's hands, sealed by the Holy Spirit, how is this salvation even possible? And our text, Paul tells us, by grace you have been saved. And so what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserved kindness. We cannot earn it and we certainly don't deserve it. It's the good news of the gospel. He did everything. There's no ounce of works that I could do to be made right before God. It's only simply that Jesus died for sinners and I put my trust in him. Here's the thing though. The world has no problem with us Christians talking about 
us loving the grace of God, but it's when we tell the world that they're also in need of the grace of God is where the problem lies because this is offensive. This is telling them, telling people, telling us that outside of Christ, you're not a good person. You can't save yourself. Your good way, your good deeds don't outweigh your, outweigh your bad in front of a righteous judge. So the prerequisite is being a sinner. The hymn writer writes, amazing grace, right? I'm not gonna sing it for you guys, don't worry. <laughs> but he says, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's the prerequisite. Jesus came to save sinners. If you think you're not a sinner, then the salvation is hard to come by. So Isaiah 6, 64 verse four, along with this, the Bible says, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness, if being right before God could be gained through the law, through good works, then Christ died for nothing. So this grace was hard for the world to wrap its mind around and it was something that was hard for me in my life to wrap my mind around growing up, playing competitive sports. It was always, you had to earn it, you get what you earned. We even had a wrestling shirt and on the back of the shirt, it said exactly that, you get what you earn. But the amazing thing about God is he has a shirt to give to us and his shirt says you get what you don't deserve and you get what you don't earn because Christ owned it and he paid that price. But simply, but, but really that's how our world works, right? You do your chores, right, kids? You get your allowance. You study hard, you get good grades. You do well in your job, you get a promotion. Right? And there's nothing wrong with those things, but it's when we try to take that mindset into our relationship with God, that is where the problem lies. So here's the thing, you guys. I, I, all these things we should do, working hard, but we have to really recognize that, that it's not by our works, it's not by striving, it's not even by reading the Bible or praying, obviously that saves us. It's through the grace of God that saves us. It's what he did. And as a result, though, we should do those things, right? Out of the love that he's given us and from a position of God saving us, we should be free to do good works and want to do words because of the gift, how sweet it was. So we cannot earn salvation or God's grace. This is why there's no boasting. As you see in verse nine, the end of verse eight and verse nine, Paul tells us prideful lumps of clay that you had nothing to do with it. He says, this is not of yourselves, it is of work, or this is not of yourselves and this is not of works, it is a gift. And so I'm gonna give you guys two scenarios real quick. Christmas not being too long ago, parents, could you imagine giving or kids or whoever, imagine receiving a gift that once you opened it, attached to the box was a receipt with a price tag on it and then a list of all the chores and all the duties and all the works that you had to do to actually receive the gift. That is against the very heart of Christmas. And that is against the very heart of grace. Scenario number two, can you imagine boasting or bragging about receiving a gift as if you had something to do with it? I mean, what are you gonna brag about? Oh, tearing open the paper that you did it in such a cool way? No, the boasting goes in the gift itself and the gift giver because you had nothing to do with it. I don't know about you guys, but there's been a couple times in my life where I've received a gift that I knew I didn't deserve and I knew there's no way I could ever pay it back and what it did to me and what it should leave all of us is leave us in a humble place of adoration for the one who gave the gift. 
So this excludes boasting. There's gonna be no men or women strutting around in heaven like peacocks. Heaven won't be like the NFL or the NBA where after scoring a touchdown, there's dancing and punching, pounding chest, pointing to myself, flexing. Why? Because Jesus scored all the points. He did all the saving work is his blood, his sweat, his tears, his perfect sacrificial life. And yeah, perfect sacrificial life that saved us. Did you guys know that in heaven, the only man-made thing in heaven is gonna be the scars that were left by men on Christ's hands. You guys know doubting Thomas put his hands in the, Jesus had his glorified body then, right? And he has his glorified body. Everything else is gonna be new heaven, new earth, new bodies, but he's always gonna have those scars. It's gonna be a reminder to us of his great love for us and his great sacrifice that he made for us. So for all of eternity, we're gonna be pointing to the true champion We'll be praising the true king. After all, that's where all of our crowns will go. The rewards that we get for living this Christian life in service to him and love for him, the rewards we get are gonna go back right down to his feet. So here's the thing. The grace of God should leave us in a humble place. It should leave us compassionate for the lost because outside of the grace of God, myself and you guys are no different. It should leave us in a restful place of servitude where we glorify the gift giver. It's not anything within us that he wanted to save us. It's just in who he is. He is a good and a loving God, a gracious God. And so the, the ingredient that brings all of this together, that brings this to life is faith. We see here in our text that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. I heard one preacher once say that faith is not a blind leap into the darkness, but faith is a leap out of the darkness and into the light of God's glorious promises. And that's exactly what it is. It's simply trusting God at his word that what he says is true. And isn't this the case with Abraham, the father of faith? The Bible says that he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He had a right standing before God. And I mind you that this is 400 years even before the 10 commandments were even around. Over 200 times in the Bible, salvation is conditioned on faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what is this biblical faith that is living and that saves? The most, ba- the most famous verse in all the Bible, John three sixteen. right? You guys all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have, at- but have everlasting life. And I'm, I wanna just rattle up a couple more, rattle off a couple more belief verses from even just the book of John. Here it goes. It says, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. John 3.15, whoever believes will not perish, 3.16. Whoever believes will not be, put, will not be condemned, 3.18. Whoever believes in the Son has life, John 3.36. Whoever hears and believes has everlasting life, 5.24. And I love just some of these verses, the whosoever in there believes has life, right? This gospel is for the world. It doesn't matter the race, the gender, 
socioeconomic status. It's truly for the whoever believes and puts their trust in Christ. And a few more here, you guys. Whoever sees the son and believes will have everlasting life. That's 640. Whoever believes has everlasting life, 647. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That one's in Romans, Romans 10, 11. And last, whoever believes in Jesus will not remain in the darkness. So what is this belief that's tied to light and tied to life and tied to this so great of salvation? Is it simply knowing intellectually uh, for this to be true? James, the half-brother of Jesus tells us that's not so. In James 2.19, he tells us that even the demons believe in one God and they shudder at his name and we will not be seeing those guys in heaven. A belief that saves is not mere intellectual assent. A faith that saves, a faith that is alive is gonna drive us into relationship with our savior. I mean, we're in the United States, who doesn't profess or claim to believe in God, right? So this biblical faith that saves is more than just right here in the head. Let me give you an example to illustrate this. Say there's a leukemia patient. He has cancer. The cancer is attacking the blood cells and the bone marrow. Without treatment, there's no hope of survival and there's no hope of salvation. This man knows a half hour down the road that the best cancer treatment facility in all of the United States, he knows where it is. He knows even what road it's on. He even knows that the doctor is one of the best in the world at treating this particular kind of cancer. He even knows friends and people that he knows of testimonies of, of being healed by this, uh, this care and this doctor and this treatment. But until he takes his helpless and his hopeless case and takes it to the doctor and puts it in the doctor's care in a, in a situation that he can't save himself, is there the true faith that saves? It moved from his mind to simply knowing to his heart that he actually truly believed. And from there, the evidence of that is that he went and put his case before the doctor to save. And that's the same for us. It's not until this belief that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead for us to be right before God, until this belief makes our, its way to our hearts, where it becomes real. And from there it goes to our hands and to our feet and to our mouth. It changes the way we speak and what we do and where we go. Now I can't talk about this faith without going into the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the hall of faith. I talked already a little bit about Abraham and Joseph and Moses are some other uh, heavy hitters, I guess, in the hall, the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. But as I was reading, I came across someone that really surprised me. It was uh, Samson, you know, the one, he had the long hair. This guy was a wild man. He was, he was wild. His life, he had a lot of foolishness, lust, pride, selfishness. You know, but at some point, maybe it was towards the end of his life where uh, he, he acted in a courageous way. And I think that was evidence of the faith that he put in God. I mean, he's in the hall of faith um, because it's not only about, it's not about us, it's about what he did. And at some point, Samson trusted God and we will see him in heaven someday. It's pretty, pretty crazy to think about. And he'll probably have all of his hair back too. And, <laughs> and you guys might get confused with him with Pastor Ross because Pastor Ross will have all his hair back then too. <laughs> 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 I 
I think a great example of this repentance that goes with faith is not is in uh, Luke, uh, a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He was known as a traitor. He was kind of a swindler, would take money uh, from, as he was uh, collecting the taxes, he would pocket a little bit of it. But Zacchaeus met Jesus and Jesus changed his life. And it was evidenced through his response to Jesus after he met them and after that heart change was there. He said, I will give half of what I have to the poor and I'll repay everyone who I've stolen money, I'll repay them four times over. So this, this, uh, this fruit of his life was evidenced by this change of heart, saying no to sin, saying no to his old lifestyle and turning to Christ. And it, the fruit was evidenced in how he walked. And speaking of fruit, I wanna summarize this root, uh, summarize the root, what makes the fruit possible, the root of this salvation. If you guys remember Mark chapter 11, this is uh, just to set the stage. It's Monday of Passion Week. Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem. Jesus gets hungry, if you guys remember, and he sees a fig tree. He gets some, hungry for some fruit. He sees the fig tree in the distance. He goes to eat off the fig tree and the fig tree was barren. There was no fruit there. Jesus, along with his disciples, Jesus curses the fig tree. And so to set the stage, this fig tree represents Israel. And Israel, the reason that this fig tree had no fruit was because Israel had no fruit. Their, their righteousness before God was through obedient, uh, being obedience to the command, the commandments, obedience to the commandments. And um, it was, it was self-righteousness and they rejected the Messiah. So here, fast forwarding a little bit, the next day, uh, this is what happens in verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots. I find that fascinating. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed withered. Jesus answered, have faith in God. So here's the summary, guys. Israel, uh, rebellious, they rejected the Messiah and they were trying to be right by good works. Jesus rejects that. He curses the fig tree. And this is what we see. Uh, it's noticed that the tree isn't just withered, but it's withered from the root because the root of Israel, um, the root of their faith was off. It wasn't faith at all. Like I said, self-righteousness and works. And so here, Jesus has the remedy for this root being off. And it's in verse 22. Jesus answered, have faith in God. It's not about works. It's about trusting. And through trusting in Christ, through his faith and through his grace, that root is gonna be solved, that root is gonna be alive, therefore the, the fruit will bear. And so the evidence of this fruit in this topic we'll conclude this morning is in the fruit. This is in verse 10 of our text this morning. It says, the apostle Paul says in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so this is the fruit, this is the good works that we're talking about, but this isn't to save. This is not what we're saved by, but it's a result of already being saved. This is the evidence of genuine faith. This is the evidence of a living faith that God had prepared good works that we could walk in. Again, this doesn't make you saved. The good works doesn't save you. It is simply the evidence that the root was good. So here's the idea of the fruit. The fruit isn't for ourselves. The fruit is for others. 
We are saved to save. We're, ble- we're blessed to bless. It's about others and it's about Christ because that's what Christ was about. Here, Paul says we are God's handiwork. This work handiwork in the Greek is poema. And this is where we get the English word poem. This has the idea of a masterpiece or a work of art. I love watching artists. I love paintings, uh, creative music, great poetry. The neat thing about artists and their work is they express a little bit of who they are in their work. A little bit of their reflection in their characters and, and what's going on inside their heart is pushed onto their artwork, their music, uh, the canvas. And here's the idea, God is the artist and he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. As he works in us more and more, we're gonna start reflecting more and more the character and the nature of our God. We are the canvas of Christ. Um, It is our job to hang in there, to stay put on the art easel, to let God have his perfect work done in our lives. And so this takes submission. This takes uh, putting ourselves at the will of God. It's not my life anymore. It is yours. Do your work in me. But in staying put on the art easel, it's going to prompt us to go and walk in these good works that, that Paul talks about here that he's created beforehand. He created and knew us before the foundations of the world. And before all of this, before he created the world, he had good works in the future for us that we could walk in. And a lot of times we think, we tend to think of the big things, the big works God has for us. But I think more importantly, it's, it's good for us to focus on maybe the small things, the day-to-day uh, works that God has set before each of us. And so maybe a stay-at-home mom and it's teaching and raising the kids, that's the good work that God has for you right now. Maybe hardworking, maybe it's to be a hardworking, faithful, reliable employee that doesn't complain and makes his boss wonder what's so different about this guy or this gal. Maybe it's a godly, maybe you're the godly boss. The work is being a godly boss that's honest and blesses his employees. Giving generously for students, maybe the work that God has for you is not participating in some of the things that's going on at school or the way that what your peers are doing. The work that God has for you is to say no to things. Husbands, to love our wives and to love our families sacrificially, walking in integrity, sharing the gospel, praying. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And so these opportunities are all around us. In our text, like I said, God prepared them before the foundations of the world. So, but we, our responsibility is waking up and being intentional about that. There is opportunities, good works for us to walk in out there that God has planted, planted before the foundations of the earth. And we need to be intentional waking up with the focus of here I am, God, what do you have for me today? Lead me by your Holy Spirit to bless others, to share the gospel, to do good. Not to do good to save, but to save me, but to do good because I am saved. And so that is a part of the fruit of a genuine relationship with God. But for me, the root was never really there, really genuine up until I was in, when I was in college. 
My faith was more of what, uh, what God could do for me. It was more uh, my identity and my purpose and everything was tied up into wrestling and success. Um, that was where my purpose was at. And you know, a, a, along with that, I would tend to compare myself with others because I think my parents did a good job maybe raising me to be respectful and to doing the right thing. And so I was caught up a little bit in that, like comparing myself to those around me. And it wasn't until college that God really showed me how deep my sin was and how rebellious I really was towards him. And I stopped, he gave me the sight to stop comparing myself to those on a horizontal playing field, comparing me, comparing myself to the worst um, and the standard being God and his holiness and his perfect uh, and his righteousness. And then I started realizing what big trouble I was in, but that was where the good news of the gospel hit me. That was where the grace of God, like I couldn't earn it. I realized I couldn't earn it. And it was by the grace of God. I didn't deserve this grace. Certainly the things that I was doing at that time, I did, definitely did not deserve God to save me from the, everything that we talked about today and to give me everything. And so for the first time, I really understood this grace and I really started, I really put my trust knowing that I couldn't save myself and I was in big trouble. I put my trust in Christ for the first time in my life is completely different, never been the same since then. I remember, uh, it's pretty crazy to think about uh, Facebook, um, most, no good stories start from Facebook, but hopefully this will be okay. Um, the other day I had a friend back from high school. I wasn't walking with the Lord in high school. And I had a friend, uh, that recently just messaged me on the, the message thing. Just haven't talked to you in a long time. It was, our last conversation was nine years ago before I was walking with the Lord and uh, Facebook will save the content of the messages that you have. And so, I started reading the old conversations that I had with my friend and I just started seeing who I was and just the language I was using and the things that I was we were talking about. And it just is, it in one sense broke my heart, but in another sense, I was like, I wasn't too, cause I was like, that isn't even, that isn't even me anymore. Like I'm a new creation and I didn't even recognize the person who was in there. And so that's what God did to me. My life has changed. And then the fruit that he's given, the works that he's given before me, I feel just extremely blessed. Even like the video that we saw with being able to serve and minister to the youth and hanging out with them on Thursdays and even just to encourage them in some small ways and point them to Christ. And then just with my family, being able to be a dad and a husband and the works that go along with that, I just am completely blessed and extremely grateful that God saved me and that from that, uh, that he's blessed me with, with fruit and uh, even to take a part, a small part in some of these things is just completely incredible. And so I wanna finish with just this last thought. Before I went to college, 18 years old, heading off to college from Colorado to the University of Iowa, uh, my grandma and grandpa were very strong Christians. They lived in the same town as me and they gave me this Bible and little did I know how much this Bible was gonna mean and how much the word of God was gonna change and impact my life three years later. Um, but I still kept the Bible around, I had it with me. And, and uh, they wrote a verse inside, it's Philippians 1 verse six. And this kind of became a life verse to me. And it says, Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it off to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And all he asks of us is to have faith. 
So if you guys would bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for your grace, God, your mercy. That is by simple faith, Lord, that you save us, that we have this so great of salvation, that you have available everything for us on this life and in the next, God. I just thank you for the opportunity to dig into this, uh, this text, God. And I just pray that your people were blessed, God, and that we're encouraged by your Holy Spirit and encouraged by your word, God. Even today, Lord, I just pray that we go and we search for these opportunities to walk in the good works that you've prepared for us before the foundations of the earth, Lord, that we can bless others. Um, Lord, ultimately giving glory to you. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.